Postdoc transformation. Postdoc transformation. Postdoc transformation. If you are a postgraduate researcher in the UK, you don't want to miss Dr. Holly Prescott, a career advisor who shares her expertise on this postdoc transformation show episode. She sheds light into the challenges faced by doctoral students in navigating their career paths. We discuss the importance of transparent communication in the admissions process and the need for support from supervisors to help students explore career options beyond academia. Holly provides valuable insights on personal value systems and the significance of defining one's own success. She also highlights her blog, Postgradual, and her contributions to books on career guidance. Without further ado, let's dive right in. Invest in your postdoc transformation. Welcome to the seasonal show for scientists leaping into business. In every sponsored episode, we are happy to recommend employers of choice for you. Make sure to check your readiness to leave out of science with us for free as linked in the show notes. For your career transition, we offer customized career transition e-courses and memberships also at graduate schools all over the world. Maybe yours too. And if your university isn't yet our customer, enroll in your free email course for career transition made simple as linked in the show notes. I'm your host, Professor Dr. Eleanor Sui Winkles, with my team who is rooting for you. And let's Build your postdoc transformation with this episode. Thank you for your time, Dr. Holly Prescott. I'm so happy to have you because I've been following your work since a couple of years now, and you support doctoral students in their career aspirations within and beyond academia, and you are profoundly qualified to do that. In parallel to your work at a university, you are also offering paid services at other universities. So this makes you the perfect guest for today's episode of the Postdoc Transformation Show for Scientists Leaping Into Business. So my first question to you is, why do you put so much time into extra services outside of your day job? Oh, yeah, it's a good question. I'm someone who's found a line of work that not only they enjoy, but they can't help but do. It also comes from a PhD or a researcher mindset as well. Whatever I end up doing, I end up being quite a nerd about it. I, my PhD was in English literature. It wasn't in anything to do with careers at all. But I, as I've moved into the career guidance profession line of work, I've kind of approached it with the rigour, the enthusiasm and that desire to really to grips and go deep with it. I showed in my grad school work and I don't think that's unusual. I think a lot of us who have done a PhD have that appetite and that kind of rigour to really want to throw ourselves into something, uh, which is what I've done with career guidance. I also think having come through the PhD myself, I felt like there was a gap um, when I was doing it um, for the kind of what I hope is sort of authentic, relatable advice that I focus on in postgraduate. That academic mind, you become experienced in something, knowledgeable in something, you automatically want to turn that into some kind of product. The usual products would be a thesis or a book or something. And I guess my external work is me creating those products from my experience and from my 
career guidance experience and my learning in that. I've still got that drive to turn my work into products that others can benefit from, which I think you do in academia all the time with conferences and papers and things. So I do that now in careers work with my blog, other publications and things like that. I hope that makes sense. Absolutely, Holly. And I can only put myself in the shoes of an early career scientist who finds your page, your website, postgraduate blog, every reader is lucky to have that as a resource because it, it, it takes the postgraduate researcher by the hand and makes them feel, I'm not alone. These are frequently asked questions per category that are absolutely relatable to me. So what kind of current block categories do you have? Absolutely, that's really kind of you to say, um, Eleanor, and I'm glad that that's how postgraduate comes across. And there are quite a few categories on there but I would say that the main ones are focused on helping doctoral students and postdoctoral to navigate the process of career change beyond academia. The one category um, of advice in this to how to actually reflect on what you want. <laughs> what do you want from your next steps? What have you actually enjoyed about academia? And how can you find other options that will help you to do those things more often? And there's a category in there about how to articulate your skills and articulate the experience you've got in an academic environment to employers in other sectors. There's a category in there about the emotional side of leaving academia, taking care of yourself and your mental health and things you might experience like feelings of grief or identity crisis, leaving behind a subject area or a kind of work you might have done for a long time. As you already mentioned, Eleanor, there's a category linked to frequently asked questions. Some of the questions I've answered on the blog have been, I've got a PhD, what level of job can I apply for outside of academia? I've got a PhD, does that mean I can be a project manager? And the other kind of questions that I find come up all the time from PhD researchers that I work with, trying to offer as much as possible, simple, accessible frameworks for thinking possible answers to these questions. A lot of the questions I answer on the blog don't have black or white answers, but what I try to provide is some kind of framework that people can lift and apply to their own experience to come up with some kind of way of navigating what I think can sometimes be quite a confusing landscape of careers beyond academia that use a very different set of values and a very different language to what doctoral students might be used to coming from academia. And once you have determined your readiness to leap and want to transition into business or industries, then you can enroll in your free email course with 10 actionable bingeable email lessons until you start your job in business. You'll get 10 emails like this. Number one, how to leap out of science. Number two, how to build your sustainable LinkedIn profile. Number three, how to read social media and network. Number four, how to research your favorite jobs and employers. Number five, how to do informational interviews to get insights. Number six, how to create your customized applications with ChatGPT. Number seven, how to prepare your thesis from a business point of view. Number eight, how to apply to your favorite employers. Number nine, 
how to choose the right job offer. Number ten, how to prepare for your new job. Holly, that was a great answer. That shows a lot of your motivation and also your experience in maybe what other universities are also not giving because these are questions that many doctoral students globally ask. And they need answers too. The way you answer these questions, in terms of not giving a straight answer, but instead giving them a framework to find their own answers, is really valuable for them. Great, Holly. Now let's switch gears. As you are working with many grad schools, do you see a pattern that makes it hard for their graduates to transition into business? Is it like the way they set up? The curriculum, their resources, and their agendas. Do you see that there is a natural conflict in finding a career that is also bound to be successful in business beyond academia? That is a really good question, and I think I do. The natural conflict comes in the fact that I'll say certainly in the UK and and in mainland Europe, and I think in some other countries as well. A doctoral student, a PhD student, is often recruited for very different reasons than a student on a taught degree. Right? A student on a taught degree is someone there to pay fees, be in that class, be part of that curriculum. But PhD researchers are recruited, particularly in science, often to enhance a supervisor's reputation, right? They're hired with responsibilities that a taught student isn't recruited with. And I think that introduces what you see are these natural conflicts. Because, you know, to some degree, why shouldn't a professor who hires a PhD student to work on a particular project that is important for their lab or their reputation, why shouldn't that professor want that research to be that PhD student's focus? You know, why, 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 why would they want that PhD student off doing other things when the reason that they brought them on board is to complete that piece of research? And I see it from that perspective. I think there is sometimes a conflict between why the PhD student is there for the professor, for the student themselves, for the university, and then for people like myself who support those researchers. And it is a very difficult balance to find. So what I'm trying to put some time into now is not just training PhD researchers, but training PhD supervisors. So this is something that I'm doing with a colleague in my day job at University of Birmingham, and it's something that I've been talking about at a few conferences recently as well. So I think this conflict comes when a PhD researcher may have the feelings of, well, maybe I'm enjoying my PhD or maybe I'm not, but I don't think staying in academia is for me in the long run. Who can they talk to about? Maybe they feel they can't talk to their supervisor about that. Because as we said, their supervisor has recruited them for particular reasons. So they might be worried if they go to their supervisor and now say they're interested in something else, that could have repercussions. And did you know that we offer deep dive e-course workshops and memberships at graduate schools, maybe also at yours in the future? 
ask your graduate school coordinator whether they want to book my services so that I can deliver them to you 24-7-365 on your mobile device. And even better, if you get us paid by your grad school, we will pay you 50% recurring sales commissions. So you will earn money with us as we help you and your PhD besties to transition into business. We can build a poster transformation together. Woohoo! So what myself and my colleague at the University of Birmingham are doing is trying to run training for supervisors to help them to understand that they're there to support a person, not just a project. Some easy practical strategies on how to manage a career conversation without shutting it down. Just as simple as that, enabling, empowering supervisors to have that conversation, but not feel like the book stops with them. Be able to signpost PhDs to people who can have impartial conversations about these things in a way that perhaps a supervisor feels they can't do. So I think the short answer to that is, I think I've outlined line there that I think there are definitely conflicts um with them that come up um around PhD researchers feeling like they want to explore careers beyond academia but the answer to that is not just providing training for the student themselves it's providing training for the people who 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 support them and who recruited them in the first place that is such a huge and important answer Holly And I really hope that this episode is also listened to by my fellow faculty, because I know that professors who have never put a foot outside of academia, they don't feel comfortable talking about career transition because it's not their home turf. It's also against whatever they have ever felt as a valuable life and career choice. If your prodigy, your best doctoral student now wants to go away, these feelings are really hard to tackle for my faculty colleagues so it is really important work that you are reaching out to them and help them overcome that feeling in the sense of it's not about them being rejected but it's about the doctoral student's life and career choice yeah and you're right it's hard and i think there are almost some illusions that you can draw some comparisons you can draw between that relationship and parenting Uh, you might have aspirations and ideas and for that person you supervise but ultimately they're going to find their own way and as you say that's not about you it's about them and to what extent we can sort of manage that and live with that but yeah it's interesting. Yeah, this is something I haven't really talked about a lot on previous podcasts I've done, but I can definitely understand. Um, it's a complex relationship. Oh, yeah. I mean, in Germany, where I'm based, the supervisor is also called the Dr. Mutter or Dr. Vater, so the father or the mother. And that really adds to the emotional turmoil. I can absolutely relate to that because I feel like persona non grata. I tried to hide that for the very longest time. But when I broke the news that I would be leaping out of science, I felt really, really bad. Not so much like a failure, but more like a disappointment for my supervisors, the grad school directors, you know, the the ones who invested in me, if you know what I mean. Oh, I get that. And I think that's really commonplace. And I've spoken to so many 
PhDs who are worried about having that conversation for exactly that reason. Um, and I remember some of the um, opposition I faced when I told people that my plan wasn't to stay in academia. But if there are PhDs listening who are finding that conversation difficult or who are finding just defending their career ideas or defending their choices difficult can you come up with what I call your position statement on why you're doing what you're doing for example I had people people in the research environment say all kinds of things like you're wasting yourself if you don't go into academia so my position statement was I've enjoyed my PhD and the things I enjoyed the most about it were the student facing aspect so I've really enjoyed our teaching, mentorship and things like that. Um, and because that's what my PhD has taught me, I don't think that academia is the best fit for my best bits. Um, it's not, I'm not rejecting it. Uh, I'm not failing in it. Um, I'm just saying that uh, it's not going to let me use the bits of myself I want to use as often as I want to use them. So therefore, I'm making the decision to move into professional support services, specifically career guidance. And just having that argument, it's not even an argument, but just having that case ready to go when I was challenged it did make people sort of sink back and having those so positive reasons why you're making the choice you're making rather than negative reasons about what you're leaving behind. Perfect, Holly. And just to reiterate, that was really a great answer on differentiating between where are you going to versus what are you leaving behind to really find the best fit for your personality and skill set. And I want to remind all listening postdoc transformers on episode nine and our free mini course, how to leave academia without burning bridges, which you can all find linked in the show notes. Exactly. It is important for you personally as a PhD making that transition, because I do think we, it's important to justify our decisions to ourselves and reassure ourselves in that way. But it's also really important once you start going for interviews in, in business and industry, um, because they may well ask you, oh, you've been in academia for X number of years. Why now are you thinking about leaving and doing this? If you've got positive reasons to say about why you're choosing that new career or choosing that new company, you will do a lot better than if you focus on the reasons why you're leaving something. So having that case not just helped you personally, but is going to help you tell your story so much more effectively when the time comes and you're in front of potential employers. Absolutely agreed, Holly. And it also makes me think about your key blues change approach that you also mentioned in your blog, Postgradual. And I will link to that in the show notes so that our listeners, the postdoc transformers, can dig deeper into that. Absolutely. Do check out my blog, Postgradual, because there are some of the posts on there about there being hope on the other side and dealing with other people's opinions and those feelings of grief. From episode one and counting, I have proudly hosted all our Postdoc Transformation Show episodes on Podbean. 
as a former IT strategy consultant, I have high requirements on my tech stack, and Podbean is my perfect fit for a podcast host. If you want to create your own individual podcast or one for, you know, internal upskilling and communications within a company, DM or email me Podbean so I can share my experience and consult you. You can also use my affiliate links for perks launching your own podcast with Podbean. Absolutely. And again, this is the reason why I invited you, Holly. You are such a deep resource for knowing so many people who made the leap, but also you have qualified yourself next to your work as a careers advisor so that you can sort of like draw some conclusions, describe successful patterns of many people, not just single people who maybe are lucky or privileged or whatever. Yeah, definitely. That's what I, I try to do. I try to say, look, look, people, this is not just based on me. This is based on thousands of people that I've worked with. And I think you make a really good point there, Eleanor, about something that, again, I talk to supervisors about a lot, which is survivorship bias. And so if we're not familiar with this concept, it's that a lot of careers advice in science or in academia um, can fall foul something called survivorship bias, which means the voices we hear and the advice we hear tends to come from people who have survived the process. Uh, And the people who haven't survived the process, i.e. they've gone and done something else, are the ones who tend to be less visible. So I guess also part of what you said at the start, why do I put so much time into doing work outside of my day job is to try to make those people more visible and to show they haven't not not survived academia. They've survived and thrived, but just else. And to your point, Holly, a graduate school should be proud of every successful graduate in the long run, regardless whether they chose academia as a playground or business or even entrepreneurship. I built my post of transformation as a digital business and I chose Active Campaign to be the centerpiece of all my services like email course, podcast, newsletter, show notes, website, sales page, merch shop, forms, whatever it is, as needed. As a former IT strategy consultant, I have high requirements on my tech stack and Active Campaign is a must-have recommendation. I use it daily. If you want to create your own digital business with various lead magnets and funnel options, DM or email me Active Campaign so I can share my experience and consult you. You can also use my affiliate links for perks launching your own digital business. Yes, well, m- most career outcomes are valid if they are of value and rewarding to the people doing them. I think there is a thing within school postgraduate research, whatever you call it, depending on where you come from, about value systems. As a PhD researcher, it's really easy to um, entrench within yourself a value system of academia (laughs) that values certain things to feel like if you're not living or working according to that value system, then you're not making it somehow so i think the work that i do is all about trying to make it visible that there are other value systems or even that you can come up with your own value system 
which again is another post that I did about how you have the agency. You have the ability to define what your own value system is and define what success means for you. Um, And if that's not what success looks like in the academic culture you've been in so far, that's okay. (laughs) Even if some people might act like it isn't. Wow, I have to say that this really is a huge mindset change because when you have been socialized as a bachelor, master, PhD student, and then maybe even as a postdoc and professor, that's a very long time in your life, right? You have been ingrained with those values and you have never questioned them. So to now gravitate away from what you've been brought up with and to come out with your own value set is really hard. Okay, maybe we just have to let this sink and we switch gears in our discussion because now I have the chance to talk to a previous admissions officer So from an economical point of view, we already talked about damage control for scientists leaping into business, right? So you've chosen that and you're trying to make the best out of that. And we already agree that it's hard. And now you train supervisors to make those career decision making processes less hard. But I want to step back in the recruiting process. Holly, is there anything that we can change in the communication and the selection process that is more like risk or even just expectation management from a university or supervisor's perspective so that they get more aspiring scientists who will be liking staying and continue elevating empirical insights in academia? Mm, that is a very good question. So yeah, just to clarify, after my PhD, I worked in postgraduate student recruitment for a while, which in the UK is what we call going around the country and other countries uh, and um, trying to persuade people to come do their master's and PhD at the University of Birmingham. That was effectively my job. Um, And I think, is there anything that we can do on the admissions and the recruitment side to make sure we're getting the right candidates is a massive question. I think, again, we talked about conflicts earlier. There are conflicts here. Certainly in the UK, universities are under pressure to increase their recruitment of PhD students. If you have a look at many university strategies in the UK at the moment, increasing um, postgraduate research admissions will will probably be on there for a variety of reasons. Um, But we know that the increased uh, numbers of PhD students are not being matched by an increase in the number of academic jobs. We know that. And now it's time to thank Company ABC, who sponsors this episode of the Postdoc Transformation Show. I would now be reading the company's answers to one of six bold questions so that you can choose to apply. For example, number one. Describe your most valuable experts versus leaders in your company. Have they typically earned a doctor title? Number two, for whichever company roles or units do you encourage somebody with a doctor title to apply? Number three, how would you describe your organizational culture in which your most valuable experts and leaders thrive in? To nominate an employer of choice so that we can ask our informative bold questions, let us know via the click on the link. 
if you are a company representative, like in recruiting and employer branding, and now you want your company to be highlighted as an employer of choice for our audience, you can become a sponsor of a dedicated Post-Up Transformation Show episode. Just click on the link in the show notes. And now, back to the Post-Up Transformation episode. The only thing I can think of that that might help would be if we're open with prospective students, not even just about the destinations of PhD graduates, but if we're open with them about this politics, if we're open with them about what's happening in higher education, and we say to them, look, you need to understand that on one side, there's pressure on universities to increase recruitment and to take more PhD students. But then on the other side, (laughs) there's... um, There are other pressures that mean there aren't an increase in a number of academic jobs and that there are various other things going on in the economy that might mean some difficulties for people transitioning out of that PhD. This is a situation we're in and it is not a simple one. And I just think being open about that, about what's happening and why it's happening. I don't think I've seen anybody do that but it, it just lets that prospective PhD student know the political climate they're kind of operating in and make a decision with that information in mind and think, okay, so the reason why universities might really want to recruit me is, yeah, because I'm good, but also because of these other reasons as well. And those other reasons might mean that when I come to the end then there might not be X, Y, and Z. So I kind of need to think about that and see what I can do to prepare for it. It would just help PhD students go into the process with a bit more of a bigger picture knowledge about the processes behind how they're there, why they're there, and how that might impact on the transition out as well. I don't know if that makes any sense. That was a very long answer to your question, Eleanor, in terms of what can we change at the admissions and the recruitment stage that could help to mitigate some of this, what you call damage control. Oh yeah, I'm a professor for industrial and occupational psychology and many of my bachelor and master students want to become HR representatives or even directors one day. So. I also discuss employer branding, how to attract the right set of people, and giving the prospect a realistic overview of the task, but also about the opportunities that come with the role. So it eases the job onboarding process for both the joining employee and the hiring manager to have clear expectations. That's so interesting, Eleanor, because I don't think I'd ever really thought about approaching that problem from an (laughs) HR perspective, using, like you said, principles and things from HR and getting people, like, just like you would get someone on board with a brand of a company and so they know what they're signing up for. (laughs) It's the same with PhD, isn't it? I remember reading about something called the psychological contract that that people make when they accept a job uh, and and I say accept what they're signing up for and then perhaps there's work that we can do to make sure that psychological contract that PhD researchers are making is in line with the stakeholders involved um, to whatever degree that, that can be possible 
especially going back to what we said, there may be conflicts in why that student is there for them, for the supervisor, for the university, etc. Well, thank you for this answer, Holly. I think honesty on both sides will allow the doctoral student to prepare a plan for inside of and also outside of academia and will also allow the grad school, the universities to have a lower dropout rate and attract the right research focused prospects. Yeah, and, and I think what part of the problem here is that university in itself is such a complex organism <laughs> with so many competing strategies and priorities and it's I feel like people very easily talk about the university <laughs> without thinking about how kind of devolved that is and the competing um, targets and priorities that go on within a university I, I do think PhDs get caught up in that and passed around and subject to those conflicting priorities but I think if we could just shed a light on it and say look here are some of the forces that are at play here um, this isn't just the way things are or the way things have to be there are forces and structures and competing priorities at work here that might favor some people over others just to kind of bring those to light is important Hey Postdoc Transformer, are you curious to ask professors, principal investigators, visiting scientists, postdocs, PhD students and candidates some in-depth life and career guiding questions? But if it's cringe, so you end up not asking? Buy our Postdoc Transformation card game to have more fun and valuable insights in your journal club, lab and mentoring meetings, lab rotations, during conferences, panels and breaks at the Mensa. You'll get 10 intriguing mentoring questions per career level. So 10 for PhD students, 10 for postdocs, 10 for professors, 10 for parental scientists, underprivileged and underrepresented and underserved scientists. Check them out with our discount coupon on the Postdoc Transformation shop linked on postdoctransformation.com. And, and that is a key part of what we call towards a socially just approach to career guidance, which is critical consciousness around why people are here, uh, why things are as they are. Uh, deconstructing that and saying, well, maybe things don't have to be as they are, um, but as they are at the moment, this is why. And, and these are the implications that, as we say, may favour some people in society over others. But I'm, I'm getting very conceptual now. So. <laughs> oh, this is spot on, Holly. I absolutely love this conceptual ideas because that really also fits to one of my or two of my previous episodes about strategies for underrepresented PhD students and mentoring your way. So the Postdoc Transformation Show is essentially my personal effort to share my privilege because obviously I'm a woman, I have Chinese ancestors, but I was already born in Germany. I would say that because my parents were both academics and my mom even earned her doctoral medical degree, I have the privilege to see what is possible for me. And that's an elevated starting point, I have to admit. And also from my self-confidence as compared to someone who is first generation academic or scholar in the making. Yeah, my parents didn't even finish school. My dad left school when he was 14. It's funny when people say first generation. 
just finishing school was kind of more academic experience than they had. Wow, I didn't know this, Holly. And knowing this now makes your achievements and your motivation to help other postgraduate researchers even more remarkable. Earlier, you talked about your blog as a product and I know that that was an understatement as you also contributed to two books on career guidance, right? So can you please share more about them, Holly? I can share them to you. So first of all, so, um, and this is another example as well. What I said at the beginning about that searcher PhD mindset. And just to say that if you do move into another career area, you absolutely don't have to leave behind contributing to scholarship, publishing, doing all of those things that you do as an academic. Um, So here are my examples. So in 2020, this book came out, How to Keep Your Doctorate on Track, Insights from Students and Supervisors' Experiences. One of the editors is Mark Saunders, who's a professor at the University of Birmingham, where I work, and a great advocate for supporting PhD researchers. It's focused mainly on social sciences, but I think is a really useful guide for anybody embarking on a PhD. And it takes you from the very beginning, choosing your topic and what you think you might do your PhD on, all the way through to my chapter right near the end, which is finding your first job um, after your PhD. Um, So if you need a companion uh, to keep you focused for any kind of PhD, EDD, DBA, doctoral researcher. Remember, you are a postdoc transformer. You are highly intelligent, well-educated, a bachelor, master, and maybe you have already your doctor under your belt, or you are a postdoc. You are internationally experienced, fluent in English, a leader and expert in your prior research field. You're resilient, brilliant in adaptation and problem solving. You are eager to bring in the transferable and monetizable skills needed in many companies to embrace the future and to become or remain an innovator in their markets. Have you found this episode so far helpful for yourself? Well, maybe you can subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or wherever you get our show. And also share this episode with your PhD bestie because that would encourage us to help the underprivileged, underrepresented, and underserved early career scientists leaping into business. This would also ensure that you don't miss a future episode. Also, our subscription And listening numbers are key for finding the right sponsors for our show so that we can help you for free. And now, back to the show. Then there's this. And then the second book that I have a chapter in is here. This is the Sage Handbook of Graduate Employability. And this came out in January 2023. Um, This is less focused for students. And it's more what I would call a kind of more academic volume, um, looking at literature review and research in the area of employability. Chapter three is my chapter, and it's the chapter in the volume that focuses on PhD employability. It's called Navigating the Struggles of Post-PhD Employability. And it talks over some of the main challenges that research and my own practice have shown that PhD researchers might have in making career transition and some of the things that hopefully we can do to mitigate that. 
Wow, that really is substantial. You have profound research experience on that topic. And again, I think that's bringing that PhD mindset to my work as well. I want whatever I do to be evidence-based. So by being involved in the research of my career's discipline and contributing to the scholarship in that area, I feel kind of helps me with that and helps me to make sure that what I'm doing with my researchers in my day job is research-based, evidence-based, and just like any academic teaching would be. <clears throat> oh, that's music in my ears, Holly. So apart from your day job and writing books and also your blog, postgraduate, you're also doing something else. How else are you serving at other graduate schools or universities? Yeah, I offer consultancy to other universities. Um, so for context in the UK, where at the University of Birmingham, I'm the careers advisor for kind of doctoral researchers. Not every university has that position or has somebody with that specialism. So I offer workshops and talks externally as well for groups of PhD and postdoc researchers at other institutions. I've worked for several in the UK, including University of Glasgow, University of Derby, Birmingham City University, Aston University, Loughborough University, and also some professional bodies um, like the British Society of Cell Biology, for example. So I don't get an awful lot of time to do that work. It is very much a side thing, and um, but it is great to feel like I'm having a wider impact beyond just the people that I would see at my own institution as well. So I suppose that on your website, there's also a contact form so that they can contact you. So there's a there is a section called contact and there's a summary of some of the things that um, I've done for other clients. But yeah, if you're looking for that kind of thing at your institution, let me know. All right, and I will make sure to link to that in the show notes. Dr. Holly Prescott, I want to thank you for your time. It was a pleasure to talk to you because I think that you are a very strategic person, and I really do hope that universities. We'll listen to this episode, and I'm talking about the deans, the speakers, right? Thanks very much, Eleanor, for having me. I think it's been a really interesting discussion, and it's thrown up a lot of things I haven't had the chance to talk about in other podcast episodes. I think, especially those tensions within institutions, those conflicts that we've talked about, and those political issues. So. Yeah, thank you very much, and I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you, Holly, and our listeners. The Postdoc Transformers can find in your show notes all your previous episodes on podcasts, but also on video shows. And I'm really highly recommending your blog, Postgraduate. Do you want a transcript of our episode? And our episode sponsors answers to all six bold questions, so that you can choose to apply. Do you want to nominate your potential employer of choice, so that we can ask them? Our bold questions. For all of that, click on our links in our show notes and on our website www.postdoctransformation.com. Remember to check your readiness to leap out of science and to enroll in our free email course, Career Transition Made Simple. Thanks for your attention. I'm Professor Dr. Elna Zoe Winkers, the host of your seasonal Postdoc Transformation Show. Have you ever wondered how to make your grad school stand out in the crowded landscape of academia? 
Do you aim to attract the best master students from all over the world to learn from and work with your professors so that your research remains globally recognized and well-funded? Do you wish to repel bad applications which aren't tailored towards your grad school's research profile? Now, let's talk about a powerful branding tool, podcasts. They're a game changer for higher education institutions. As a professor, active on TikTok, Instagram, LinkedIn, and a podcast host and producer of this postdoc transformation show, I'm here to encourage all the graduate school representatives to think beyond the conventional marketing mechanism. Instead of being one of many vendors at a time-limited grad school fair, why not create a podcast that showcases your grad school as the ultimate destination for the world's best master's students. Share inspiring and encouraging stories of your top PhD students, high-profile alumni, your faculty, and the incredible opportunities your grad school offers. A podcast can be a window into your school's vibrant community, its cutting-edge research, and unique experiences. And in times of AI-generated marketing material, a podcast with your academic leaders in real life is a very human and innovative way to attract prospective PhD students. You can inform them every day, everywhere, not just during the typical grad school application seasons. This would prepare your best candidates for the application. Even better, you can support and make your current PhD students and postdocs visible for the next career steps in academia or business. Remember, successful graduates elevate your grad school's reputation. So, if you are a university chancellor, grad school dean, speaker, consider this. By launching a podcast for your grad school, you can elevate your grad school's brand and tell aspiring scientists and employers what makes your grad school the best choice with scalable evergreen content. If you're interested, forward this to your marketing representative and get our list of 30 sample episode titles customizable for your grad school podcast and just enter an email address on my website www.postdoctransformation.com as linked in the show notes. As a seasoned professor and podcaster, I'm also happy to strategize about how you can launch your grad school podcast on Podbean, the podcast hosting platform we use for the Postdoc Transformation Show, supporting scientists leaping into business. Postdoc Transformation.